Hey, all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. Today, I have a special guest, Mr. Mark Webb. He's known as the Aroma Science Guy, and we're going to discuss how he uses his knowledge on aromas and his aroma therapy and science and using it with sous vide. I'll be right back with Mr. Mark Webb, the Aroma Science Guy. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter. Hey all, I want to welcome back Inkbird Products as a sponsor of the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Inkbird makes many great different temperature controllers, thermometers, uh, all kinds of time and temp controllers. But one of the best things that they make is their new sous vide circulator. That includes Wi-Fi, 1,000 watts of power, and super quiet at a really affordable price. It's one of my top picks for a budget sous vide circulator for people who are just getting started. Make sure you check it out in the link below. Check out Inkbird. Welcome back, Inkbird Products, to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And today I got another great guest, Mr. Mark Webb. He is known as the Aroma Science Guy. And he is going to be a speaker at the 2020 sous vide summit that's going to be um, online this year because of the uh, nastiness that's going on. It's going to be virtual, but you'll be able to actually participate in this um, online if you want to. I'm going to have information on how you can get tickets at the end of the uh, podcast and also in the description. But Mark, welcome. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell me where you are, who you are, and what you do. Good day, Darren. G'day people, um, I'm Mark Webb. Um, I'm called the Aroma Science Guy because of uh, back in 2015, I was over there in the States doing some classes and one of the people said, oh, you're like Bill Nye, the science guy. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm Mark Webb, the Aroma Science Guy. So it was a bit of a joke at the time in this class. And then I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, actually I am the Aroma Science Guy. Um, my background is in, um, Bio, biomedical research and working with aromatic plants. It's a bit of a convoluted life story, which I'll, I'll compress for about into about two seconds for you. Um, went to university, did wanted to be a chemist, found that there wasn't a hell of a lot of work in that industry, got into computers, went into the IT world, worked in that at, in corporate newspapers for like nearly a decade. Um, then I branched out into um, desktop publishing and graphic arts, made redundant from the corporate world as happened back in those days. You know, the Raiders came in and off went the company and they started cutting people. So I set up my own business doing graphics design and pre-press and all that sort of stuff. And while I was doing that, I, I kind of went back to my plant roots. So I've got a degree in biochemistry and plant physiology and that sort of genetics and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so I, I came back and I started to study aromatherapy. I, in, the, in the corporate world, I got into a lot, I'd had a lot of stress and I got into uh, the you know, massage and using essential oils like aromatherapy, the, the soft end of, of, of that industry. But because of my science and, and plant love, I, I sort of look, started looking at it a bit more seriously. And then I ended up writing a book uh, called Bush Sense uh, back in um, early 2000, I released it. And that's, that's about Australian plants uniquely and their aromatics. And then from there, um, the, the world kind of changed for me. I got asked to teach a class. That class turned into a career for six years, teaching all sorts of stuff at one of the colleges here in, in, a, in Sydney when I was living there. And um, you know, then I, got, I, had a, I had a request to come to Queensland to work for a, a biomedical research company working with essential oils and getting into the medical end of, of this. Uh, that then branched out into cosmetic chemistry and formulations chemistry. And so today, that's what I do. I, I do um, you know, product formulations in the food, beverage, cosmetics, personal care industries. I also teach, I travel the world, um, you know, giving people advice about aromatic crops, uh, about aromatic chemistry, about formulation, about safety. And so uh, I've ended up doing things I love. I, I get to travel, I get to meet people, I get to take lots of 
photos of beautiful things, including food. And um, so I've combined in this presentation and also at the sous vide conference, two of my passions. I love to cook. I'm a, I'm a food geek. My kitchen looks like Heston Blumenthal's research lab. I've got about six sous vides. I've got vacuum ovens. I've got all sorts of gear, Rotovap, everything else. And for me, it was like bringing two of my passions together, aromatics and sous vide cooking. And that's where I'm at now. So aromatics, uh, you know, when people hear that, and I know, you know, people like me, of course, who have not really studied it or looked into it, they think of aromatherapy, like you said, or incense, mm -hmm. you know, smells. But yep. you, you kind of incorporate it also into foods and flavorings and seasonings. So how, how, how does it all work? Well, um, we've only got six basic tastes. Everything else is smell. So all of the subtle flavors that we get from food come from smell. That's why when you have a head cold or you're you know, really congested, you can't taste anything really. All you taste is salty, sweet, umami, you know, oily, those type of tastes, uh, bitter. Um, but all of the subtleties of flavor come from aroma. And, you know, the aromatherapy sector and the, you know, is a very small wedge of the use of extracted aromatics on this planet. The majority of them go into foods, foods and drinks. Uh, and in personal care products, cleaning products. So all the smells in all your laundry detergents and stuff, they're all extracted aromatics, sometimes synthesized. All your flavors in all your dishes are all extracted aromatics. Either, um, you know, sometimes they use fresh herbs and spices, but a lot of the time they use concentrates, oleo resins and the like. So that's my background and speciality is in that extraction technology. And one of the things that I've been working on the last decade is um, carbon dioxide extracted um, aromatics and their uses both in the medical field and in the culinary field. And uh, I'll touch on that today. I've got a couple of examples of that I want to talk about, but that's, that's what my sous vide presentation will be about uh, at the conference. I'll be talking about aromatic cuisine sous vide style as the title of the presentation. And it's really about how do you take these extracted aromatics and combine them in sous vide, uh, and why you might want to do it, you know, why they they leave dried herbs and spices for dead. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I wanted to get. I want people to understand that without your sense of smell, you know, you you shut off one of your main senses that affect the taste of your food. I mean, yeah, we do have, like you said, we have a sense of taste, but that's only a small part of how we actually process what the food actually tastes like because you know if we don't like you said you have a cold you can't smell anything your food tastes totally different and it's not yeah. because it's messing up your taste buds at all it's because that main part of how you you know process the flavors of what you're eating is, is comes from your, your sense of smell through the olfactory system yeah and, and it's really important to understand that your sense of taste triggers one area in the brain your sense of touch triggers one area in your brain sense of hearing, one area in the brain, sense of um, sight, one area in the brain. But the sense of smell, olfaction, triggers five areas in the brain. So we are, as a, as a species, as an animal, we are very attuned to smell. You know, we are in our, in our animal brain, our limbic system, the, the, the ancient brain, it's about the defense mechanism. It's about, oh, that smells like rotten meat or worse, um, you know, <laughs> dead cat, like, really really bad bad carrion or some of those smelly cheeses you get those wash rind cheeses oh yeah they're a bit like limburger <laughs> and the like they're, they're 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 oh so disgusting smelling but they are an, an interesting taste once you get them in your mouth if you don't puke in the meantime um <laughs> but you know there's that but you know we use our sense of smell for you know working out whether whether a mate is appropriate we work at it we use it for working out whether this food is off or not it's it also triggers memory. So, you know, you can go back to um, foods that your, your grandmother used to cook for you when you were a child and you, you revisit those dishes and you're back there when, as a little kid eating that, that um, beautiful spiced apple pie at, at grandma's table. You know, it, it, it's, it's a very profound sense. And um, I, I've done a bit of work in, in that cognition side of it and using aromatics to help people you know, work, work through issues, um, you know, but also 
calming, soothing, relaxing, um, focusing. So, you know, it, it, it I, I love this shit. It's really, really fun. And it, it's, uh, but in food, yeah, that's, that's where I enjoy it even more. Yeah. I hundred percent agree because it's whenever I smell fresh bread baking, it takes me back to when I was a kid, my mom used to make fresh bread all the time. Mm -hmm. So when I smell it, I just, in my mind, it's like, man, that reminds me of being, you know, six years old, hanging out by the kitchen, waiting for that bread to come out. Cause I, I know it was going to be good, you know? So, but yeah, it does. I mean, your sense of smell affects you in so many more ways than people realize and once you take it away, it's like you said, you get a, you know, a sinus, you know, infection or something where you can't smell. I mean, it really affects you more, much more than anything else would, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it does. Uh, and for those people that, that have lost their sense of smell, um, either through you know, chemical accident, whatever, their world is a lot, lot smaller. They, they, they don't, they miss it. It's like, you imagine being blind. Well, take being blind and take it to the like the umpteenth level of never being able to smell rain again, never being able to, to taste food other than those basic tastes. Uh, like when you've got a head cold, but on steroids. So, you know, it's, it's a horrible thing to, to happen. And uh, anyway, and it, and it can be dangerous but, too. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Well, very, very dangerous. You know, people have been, have ended up dead because they can't smell because they can't smell gas or they can't smell, you know, dangerous chemicals. Um, ammonia is a good one. It, it burns out the olfactory bulb badly. And uh, people that have been working in refrigeration, if they if they get an ammonia leak, and if the ammonia gas doesn't kill them, often it will burn out their their olfactory bulb, and they can't smell anything. And wow. they're, they're pretty much impaired after that. That's not a particularly nice topic, mate. Let's move on to something more interesting, <laughs> like more 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 joyful sunshine well, in, in this dark COVID times. Well, let's talk about how you got interested in sous vide and, and started, you know, working with, you know, your aromatics and, and working them into the sous vide uh, cooking method. Sure. How about I share this screen and let's have a, let's have yeah, a, you can go a, ahead. Yeah, go ahead and share your, uh, your, a, a, uh, a quick, quick walkthrough. Um, sure. So uh, this, this slide here is a bit of an, a, bit of an overview of who I am and what I do. So I, I do formulation work and, you know, a scientist traveled the world. I, I teach all over the place. In the last two years, I've been to America, Canada, Ma Malaysia, um, Sumatra, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, Bali, New Zealand. Yeah. And Australia. So, you know, I, I travel around a fair bit. This year I had planned to be back in America again, but yeah, this little tiny virus got in the way of all those international travel plans. Um, as I said, I teach classes everywhere in aromatic science. Um, I teach I teach the hard end of aromatherapy, aromatic medicine. So I, I teach the internal uh, ingestion of essential oils for medical purposes, uh, plus also food and beverages is another thing I like to do. Um, how I got into it, when I was working in the biotech industry, this was my first sous vide. I ended up buying a, a lab circulator and retrofitting it to a tank. And it's a manual one and I calibrated it. So I, I'd seen this thing about, I really wanted to cook kangaroo properly. You know, I'd, I tried searing kangaroo in, a, in a, a, um, a pan. I just couldn't get it to cook properly. And you know, being a very lean meat, it was difficult. But we'll, we'll get onto that a bit later. But, but this is what started me in it. The thing that really hooked me on it was this particular dish. I, I um, got myself a, a primo barbecue. I'm going to do a sous vide pork loin on the bone. And up to this point, pork had always been difficult to cook properly. You know, if you try and do a, a lean pork um, cut like pork loin uh, in, a, in the oven, it always dries out or most of the time dries out unless you wrap it in bacon and wrap it in foil and whatever else. It's a right. lot of work. And I'd heard sous vide was the way to go. And so I did. I basically basted it in apple balsamic vinegar and chucked it in the, in the um, sous vide and cooked it and then decided to finish it in the barbecue. And uh, I, again, I basted it with, with balsamic vinegar. I smoked it with apple wood. I layered those flavors. Well, this particular dish I cut with a butter knife. It was so tender. It was so delicious. And as I, I wrote there, um, carved like butter, the most juicy, tender, flavor, flavorful pork I've ever 
ever tasted and I was hooked. And pretty much I have been since then. And um, so I, I expanded my gear. Uh, I ended up, oh, and then organic turkey breast as well. Again, turkey often dries out when you oven roast it. Sure. But cooked in the sous vide, it is, it is delicious and um, succulent. Going back to that pork, though, for a second, you used mm -hmm. apple cider vinegar. <clears throat> the, no, the, apple balsamic vinegar. Yeah, so, but, the, but the vinegar should have also used worked as a tenderizer as well. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So the balsamic vinegars, because they're cooked down, they're concentrated, they're, they're a, they've got a lot more sugar in them. They're, you actually concentrate that sugar. Um, and, and it helps with the mallard reactions on the, on the skin of the meat too. This is an old photo off one of my old... Um, old phone so it's not particularly color uh, like mm -hmm. color balanced or anything but yeah the the skin looked amazing and it, it was extremely tender it was delicious and and, and that's something you know, I, i've used um for salmon i'll use uh red papaya or i'll use uh, so for the for the uh the enzymes in it or i might use um pineapple sometimes with really really um tough cuts of meat or kiwi fruit yeah, kiwi is another one. Yeah, yeah. So you get that enzymatic breakdown of the protein. You start to break it down. A lot of the time, though, I don't, I don't tend to bother too much with that unless it's a really gristly piece of meat because long cooks in sous vide will take care of that. You'll, you'll shift yeah. the collagen I, to gelatin. I, I one, I made a mistake once of using um, a high vinegar based um, marinade in the sous vide, and it, it kind of mushed it out. Yeah. Now they're okay if you're doing a shorter, you know, time, but if you're doing a, you know, 36 hour cook, you don't want to have any kind of other, other helpers in there <laughs> to tenderize it. Nah, look, uh, when, I, when I'm doing those long cooks for things like brisket or anything that's got a lot of, lot of collagen in it, like oyster blade steak or roasts that have got a lot of that, that gristle through the center, um, I tend to keep it very simple. Yeah, you know, I don't tend to over marinate. I what I, I I prefer to do is salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of garlic salt, maybe some herbs and spices, but but very minimal, and mm. then and then put it in, do the sous vide, take it out, um, and particularly if I'm finishing in the in the pellet smoker, which is something I've been doing a lot of in the last year, eighteen months, and it's at that time that I'll then glaze it with with various sauces and whatnot and finish it in the pellet smoker as part of that process, which I've got some slides to show you a bit later on this, in this presentation. So, um, yeah, um, so, so turkey was great. And then I got myself a sous vide supreme. And I have to say that the, that unit um, is my standard thing I use in the kitchen every day. You know, it, it, it's quiet. It sits there. It doesn't evaporate. I don't have to worry about cleaning a circulator or getting gummed up with muck. It doesn't burble. It doesn't carry on. It just sits. It just sits there, you know. Yeah. And and that's what I like. I mean, occasionally, if you don't load it properly, it'll it'll sort of fluctuate on its temperature and it'll beep at you a bit more than it should when it's working. But um, it's a very stable workhorse. Eleven litre tank, so it's a big enough tank for a family um, to cook. I, I think I did. I think I worked it. I did 20 packets of chicken breast in it one day, which that was a fair bit. Um, if I'm doing big cooks, though, I'll use this 35 litre poly tank, um, either with this old lab circular, which still works a dream, by the way. It's fantastic. You know, it, it really is um, great. Uh, since then, I've, I've moved on. I've got a second CV Supreme, the, the Breville one. Not so happy with that compared to the original. The original, I think, was better made. A couple of right. friends, when they came out, they bought them and they ended up failing on them. And I think I've, I've got another one that failed that I, I picked up from a friend that I'm, I've got to get in and fix. I think the PID controller's gone bad in it. Um, the Optimum um, Suvi Circulator is just a, a standard generic stick, stick circulator. That's what I tend to use when I'm traveling. So if I do road trips or, or you know, travel around the country, go visit friend, friends and family or for work, that's what I'll throw in the car with a poly tank um, so that I've got something to cook with when I'm traveling. Um, bought a couple of others as well. And then about 18 months ago, I got myself a poly science chamber vac, which was a, you know, I'd been lusting after a, a chamber vac for years since I started doing CV and that really made a big difference. And then finally I got the poly science MX circulator. I bought it secondhand from a chef and 
I must admit, I haven't used it a great deal, but it's the Rolls Royce, of, as far as I'm concerned, of of, of gear in, in this in this area. Now, maybe you know, that's probably changed a bit recently with some of the other stick circulators that are around. But you know, for professional gear, that uh, that that is a very consistent piece of equipment, very very accurate. If I want really tight, accurate temperature to point one of a degree Celsius, then I'll use the police science. Well, the poly science, you know, they're, they're, like you said, they're a workhorse or a tank, you know, you can't kill them. They're made for the commercial kitchen. So, mm. I mean, they're still, but they still cost the money too. You know, if you're, you know, you're, they're not going to be good for somebody who, you know, cooks sous vide once or twice a week or once or twice a month. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, no, because look. they're, they're made to be, you know, run nonstop or, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't have the fancy Wi-Fi apps and things like that, that uh, some of these, you know, you know, the consumer stuff does. And, you know, yeah. and the chefs don't want that anyway, because they, they know, you know, you set it and you leave it go and then you know what you're putting in it. The chefs will use it. That's my steak mm -hmm. sous vide there, you know, for medium mm -hmm. rare. So that's, they don't, you know, keep adjusting it and monkeying with it. That's their medium rare steak sous vide, you know, thing. And that's what it does. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, and, and as you said, they're a workhorse. And um, so you might say, well, why have I got it? Because I could, because I could. I got, it at, I got it at a great price. I've been waiting for it and, you know, picked it up on Facebook Marketplace from a chef who was going out of, moving out of it. And it turned up and it was dirty and grotty and, you know, full of fat and caked up with calcium scale. And it took me about a week to clean it. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, you know, to, to get it for less than half price. Yeah. I'll take that. Cause I know it's good. I know it'll be good for another 20 years. So oh, I'm yeah. not worried about it. So, um, right. But yeah, my, my standard cook is the sous vide Supreme because it works for, for a small family. Like I don't have kids with me anymore. It's just my partner and I, and it, it, it you know, but I also do cooks where I might cook, um, you know, five or six meals in a go. And then I won't use the sous vide for a couple of days, but, it's on the bench at least two, maybe three times a week. So that, that's how, that's how much soothing cooking I do at home. It's a lot. Um, if I'm doing, um, I've been working with a local, a couple of local butchers, uh, doing a bit of sous vide and barbecue for them. And um, as well, uh, doing some testing and whatnot to you know, get them excited about the pro prospect of using sous vide and, uh, so I might, that's when I'll crank the two tanks up or we'll go to the bigger tank um, when I'm doing large runs, when I've got the, the Jim Bean, um, Jim Bowie, the big, big green mountain grill uh, and I'll load it up. It's, it's fantastic. So um, yeah, so the other gear, um, Iwatani butane torch, because back in the day, the other ones were dangerous. You know, if you turn mm -hmm. a, if you turn a butane canister upside down and you don't have one of the good torches, you end up with a flamethrower because the liquid butane will run out. And yeah. I did that once with a cheap torch and never again. So I, I sourced the Uatani and these days there's a lot of other ones. Um, if I don't feel like firing up the smoker and I want something smoked, I've got the Breville, uh, or you've also got PolyScience um, yeah, smoke gun. I use the uh, Polycarb vacuum containers for doing a lot of, cold infusion work with, with beverages, which we're not going to talk about today. And then there are my two Barbies, the Primo um, ceramic charcoal and the Green Mountain Grill pellet grill. I have to say that uh, since getting the pellet grill, my barbecuing has exploded because it's just so easy. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like the, yeah, it's very convenient. It, it's the same as sous vide, you know, yeah. it, it's you, you literally roll it out, uncover it, plug it in, fill the hopper, turn it on, connect the Wi-Fi out, set the pre, you know, base temperature, wait for it to smoke up, get it ready, throw your meat in, hit your program. I usually just set a timer and come back to it and I'll have, a, I'll have the, the internal probe and I have a secondary set of probes running on it just to check if I'm running different things. And what I've noticed is I just go out to it less and less. I go out every hour or so when I'm basting, if I'm, if I'm glazing stuff and basting it or turn it, but most of the time I don't need to. I'll mm. often use it for doing cold smoking with a couple of smoke tubes, like those stainless steel tubes you fill up with pellets. Mm -hmm. They're great. They're great for doing bacon, for doing cold smoke bacon. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's easy. And I like that. I'm yeah. a, it's one of the biggest things I love about doing sous vide and barbecue, the same as you, 
it's you don't have to sit there with a barbecue. You can put it on, you can do most of your cook with sous vide and you finish it in the barbecue or you pre-cook it in a barbecue. And uh, yeah. I find that that's a godsend. I'm, I've never been a one to sit up all night. You know, I don't drink, don't drink beer anyway, but <laughs> sitting up, sitting up tending a barbecue for 18 or 20 hours to, to smoke, to do a brisket. Yeah, look, good on people who want to do that, but that's not my cup of tea. I'd rather be asleep. Yeah. Well, the people that usually say that, they only do one like once a month like that because they're, they're the ones that'll sit there and go, oh, I don't want to have to cook a pork butt and sit there mm -hmm. and babysit it. They'll, you know, do something else. But, you know, I find it to where I, I like to cook, you know, standard barbecue every once in a while too, you know, just using the mm -hmm. grill or the smoker. But I don't have to, you know, and there's, I, I love experimenting with different ways of cooking and, and mixing them together. That, and one of the things that I really like, and I want to talk about this with you is with mm -hmm. sous vide. And this is what I'm going to talk about during at the uh, sous vide summit is when you combine these two methods, especially sous vide and barbecue, you know, you got the ultimate mm -hmm. low and slow with sous vide and low and slow with fire and smoke. Mm -hmm. You can make something, if you combine them together, you can make something totally different than you can make with either one of them by themselves. And, I've said this to Jason and Mike a lot is that I could take mm. a brisket and sous vide it at 135 degrees for 48 hours or, or what have you take it out, put it in the smoker for two hours to get a nice bark and get it yeah. nice and smoky and take it out. And I've got a medium rare tender mm -hmm. smoky brisket that I can't make in a smoker. You know, I can make it medium rare in a smoker, but it won't be tender, you know, and no, I can it'll make be it tough as, and mm -hmm. I can make it medium rare in the sous vide, but it won't be smoky. But so if mm -hmm. I can take those two methods and combine them, it's amazing. You know, and it's just something that you couldn't create with either one of those separate. So when and people go, you know, people try to go, oh, well, what's better, sous vide or barbecue? And it's like, <laughs> together. It's like they're not fighting each other. They're not, you know, at war with each other. They're two different methods that if you combine them, you can make something oh. totally different and totally new. So. I've had this going to barbecue events here in Australia. And I, I didn't mention that, guys. I'm, I, I live in Brisbane or Brisbane, as a lot, a lot of people want to say, but it's Brisbane. Brisbane. It's Brisbane. Just quick, short, tight. Don't, don't stretch it. We don't have that drawl anymore. You know, we're, not, uh, we're, not, we're not from the deep south or out in, the, out in the, <laughs> the, what we call cocky country out in the, out in the middle of Australia. Um, but yeah, I'm on the on the east coast, and it's a subtropical climate here now. Like, well, I'm in the middle of winter, and um, I tend to wear shorts and t-shirts during the day. You know, it's terrible. It really is. It's like San Diego in in in, in California. It's that sort right. of climate. So, um, my problem for me doing, um, you know, I can't. It's very hard for me to say smoked cheese in the barbecue because it gets too hot too quick. This is the time of year when I can do that. Um, I, I love using those cold mornings to do bacon. I mean, that's something that I've done. I'll do uh, cured bacon and then smoke it, but I'll layer it with other flavors. And uh, I've got a couple of other things to show you too, some, um, some smoked garlic that I turned into a paste. And then I, then I pasteurized in the sous vide. Now, that's something else. So I like to mix this stuff up. And I, I'm like you, Darren, I love using all these different cooking methods. None's better than any other, and I mean, I, I get, I get annoyed with people in these barbecue events when you walk up and you start talking to them, and then they go, "Oh, what have you got?" And you tell them, and oh, you've got a pellet grill. Oh, you know, oh, right. you, know, <laughs> you, you don't use a real barbecue. I go, mate, I've got a charcoal grill as well. Like, get off your high horse. I've also got a gas barbecue. So what? Yeah. They're, they're tools. They're not. They're not an altar that you're praying to or worshiping at. Although some people it is. Right. And the same with sous vide. You know, when you mentioned sous vide, oh, a couple of guys I know in the industry over here in the, in the barbecue sector, they, they berate sous vide cooking like you don't want to know. And I go, have you ever tried it? Yeah, they don't understand it. They don't, they don't they, understand. They don't understand what it is and they don't yeah. understand its precise cooking and, it, and exactly what it can do. And that's why when I talk to like, I've had barbecue guys on my show, on my podcast mm -hmm. that are, that, you know, aren't really familiar with it. And, you know, most of the ones I have are pretty open-minded because they're adventurous cooks anyway. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, these guys that are just focused on, I gotta, you know, do it this way. 
you know, when I explain that to them, what I just said to you is that I can make something totally different by combining the two that opens their eyes up and they go, even Stephen Reichland, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you guys even know about him down there. He was a really famous, you know, cooks on fire all the time, just smoke. And, he, you know, he even said when he came on my show, he said, you know, I'm not a big proponent of the sous vide. You know, I I'm fought live fire. And I'm like, I understand that, Stephen. And I told him what I just told you. And he was like, you might have changed my mind about sous vide because he just says, I could see a light bulb going off on his head. And it's mm -hmm. like, I don't understand why people want to pit cooking methods against each other because they really, they really shouldn't, you know, they're just no. different tools. Like you said, even just a pellet grill versus a, you know, charcoal grill or a, a stick burner or what, or a smoke gun. Mm -hmm. They're all just, just different tools and you can do different things with them. So. Correct. And, and I, that's what I love to do. And then, what I'm bringing to the conference is, is these concentrated aromatics that when you add that as another layer of flavor enhancement to sous vide and barbecue or whatever else you want to use it with, it, it takes it to the next, next level. Um, let, let's move on with some slides yeah, through a few other things to show you. So this is a typical prep for me um, where I've got some, some, um, meatloaf that I've been putting in. And we're going to talk about meatloaf in a minute because I know it's probably the most basic, cheapest meal that you can make for a family. But using sous vide and or barbecue, you turn the cheapest piece of meat in the, in the, in the butcher's cabinet into something that is absolutely divine delicious. Um, some pork, you know, some, some kangaroo there. And you'll notice that there's some butter in there. I sometimes use cultured butter or, or ghee. Um, I do a lot of comfy cooking or like cooking in fats because I find it, um, it enhances the flavor. It also is a good vehicle for carrying those aromatics in, into the cook. So let's talk about sous vide meatloaf. This was something that I, I got into once I got the chamber back because I was able to pull a really tight vacuum on, on the meat. And I don't like loading up food with unnecessary things, unnecessary fillers. I like it simple, you know, the, the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. Well, or keep it simple students, as I would say to some of my classes. <laughs> and um, this is literally a container of meat from the supermarket cabinet, tear the packeting off, sprinkle on the herbs and salt and pepper, turn it, do the second side, slide it into the sous vide bag, pull a vacuum on it. And then, um, you know, that's what you end up with. And then chuck it in the sous vide or put, place it gently and lovingly in the sous vide, whichever way you wish to do. <laughs> and I tend to cook, I tend to cook a lot of my proteins around 57 degrees Celsius or 135. I like it. I found that 60 degrees was a little bit too overdone for medium. I like it a little bit under that. And, um, you know, three to, three to six hours, it's done. It's, it's easy, to food, easy to eat. But if you want to, if you're looking at longer, longer storage, I'll cook out to 12 plus hours. And I know without having to go to Douglas Baldwin's book and look up the, the pasteurization tables and all that muck, that, that stuff is dead, that there's nothing left alive in it, <laughs> that I've killed everything in it. Right. And a lot of the time too, I will layer in aromatics into that that are also antimicrobial. So I've got um, some rosemary extract that is, uh, it's a, a high-end um, polyphenolic extract. It's the non-aromatics of rosemary. And it's this greeny, mucky looking liquid, but it's extremely antimicrobial and anti-antioxidant. Anti so it stops the, the, the um, stops meat going rancid, but it also kills the bugs that make it go rancid and also causes botulism and, and all those other, like salmonella, et cetera. So when I, I, I can do um, sous vide, and I can leave it sit in the fridge for five, six weeks sometimes before I'll cook it. I don't generally take it out that long. I'll usually go three to four weeks, but I've pushed stuff and seen what it's like, and it's still fine. I've even done microbe testing where I've, I've taken a bag of meat um, taking it into my, because I, I, I used to work in the biotech industry and I've taken it into a microbe lab and said, here, open the bag, take some swabs, grow them up and there's nothing in it. So, you know, right. I wouldn't recommend everybody do that. But, you know, I, if you know what you're doing, you can really push the shelf life under refrigeration of sous vide. So, um, and then 
the next thing I, I like to do if I can be bothered is uh, glaze it and throw it in the barbecue in, in the pellet smoker and, and get a nice nice glazed surface on as you can see here and um, otherwise I'll just take it out and pan fry it, sear it, maybe throw some gravy over it. And as you can see by these pictures, the meat, because you put the salt in, the salt activates all the protein strands and they become sticky. And then under the vacuum, you're pushing it together under such vacuum, under such pressure, that it all reforms. You don't need to use meat glue, like, like um, glutamates Trans, in yeah, there to make it stick. Yeah, you don't need to use that. So you can't get any more pure than this. This is basically your protein, your salt, your pepper, and your spices. And if you want to put a glaze sauce over or some liquid smoke, or I, I, oft, I sometimes put truffle extract in, which is kind of yummy, um, or some other um, alcoholic beverages of various, various types to give some flavor to it. Port wine's a nice one. Like it'll really give a, a nice, deep, deep flavor to it. Um, I've cooked them in mulberry sauce. Like I've, I've got a mulberry tree at the back, so I made some beautiful mulberry sauce and I, I, I put that in the sous vide. That's really nice with duck, uh, duck breast sous vide in that with, uh, and then finish with, a, with that as a glaze is fantastic. One um, thing I want to touch on too is because we, we kind of brought it up with how the salt you know, penetrates deeper when you're using the sous vide. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things I, I, I learned online from amazingribs.com with uh, Dr. Blonder did mm -hmm. a, 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 you know, a couple of you know, studies and showed that low temperature cooking speeds the brining process. So mm -hmm. I don't have to brine my steaks anymore before I put them in a sous vide bag. If I'm putting salt in the bag with them, and you know, people will tell me that. Well, did you brine it before you put it in the in the sous vide bag? It's like, no, I just put the salt on, put it in the bag because I don't have to anymore. Because the you know the sous vide, the low temperature cooking actually speeds the brining process up, and it, it brines it just fine. It's like you know the equivalent of having it brine in a refrigerator overnight. You know, in that four hours. Yeah. So. Well, also too, it's it's actually the vacuum in the bag too, because the the vacuum when you pull a uh, pull the sort of vacuums where we're running it opens the fibers up and allows those solutions to move in, penetrate more deeply as well. So there's that aspect as well, as well as the heat of it. Um, pretty much these days I dry brine. If, if, I want a, if I want a pretty piece of salmon to put on the barbecue, I'll sous vide it, I'll dry brine it first. If I don't care that it's got a bit of white albumin on the outside and doesn't look so pretty, I don't bother. You know, if I'm doing a show cook, then yes, I will. I will either wet brine it or dry brine it, and and then sous vide it or put it on the on the grill and smoke it, depending on what I'm doing. Um, yeah, yeah, same with me. I I don't tend to do a lot of brining. Um, pork, like really really big cuts of pork, I might wet brine sometimes. Just depends. Um, bacon, as I said, I, I dry brine that in. A, I'll, I'll vacuum pack that. Um, that's my secret to doing bacon is there, there's a really good book, um, which I'll, I'll give you the link to later, we'll, we'll put a pick, up, pick of it up, where they talk about the different methods of, of um, doing all sorts of different deliciousness in pork. And uh, I came across the recipe in that, which was a weight recipe. So you do everything by weight and you never get the salt wrong. You never get the, the right. um, yeah. sodium nitrate wrong. And the, the, equilibri and the wrong. equilibrium, I think. Yeah, you, you got to get those things right. Otherwise it can, yeah. it, it goes like hardtack. And um, basically I put it in a vacuum bag and I massage it and I put it in the fridge for a week and every day I'll turn it and give it a bit of a rub. And you just watch it slowly pull the moisture out and it, it, it brines beautifully. And then you just take it out, rinse it off, dry it, put it back on the rack in the fridge to let it sit for an hour or two in the, in the refrigerator where it'll dry the surface. You get that nice patina, that nice stickiness on it, which will then take up the smoke. I stick it in the bar in the in the pellet smoker with the pellet tube, so I cold smoke for a couple of hours with my bacon, and then I hot smoke it, bring it up to about um, sixty degrees, I think it is. I might, yeah, so I, I get it to medium cook in the in the smoker, and because um, I like to do that, because the bacon you can slice it like hand then and eat it if you want to, but when you do and you slice nice thick cuts of it, and you're pan frying it, you put it in, she starts to cook. And then all of a sudden you get this fat let down and you know, oh, that's done. Turn it, it drops a bit more, more fat, it's done, take it out and then cook your eggs in that bacon fat. And mate, it is the most <laughs> delicious tender bacon. I, I took some to some, I've got a couple of different 
uh, butchers that I, I do some work with and I, I collaborate with. And I took some of that bacon that I, I said, and it was literally just salt, um, sodium nitrite, uh, nitrate, nitrite, and pepper. That was it. Mm -hmm. Nothing, and then smoke in the barbecue. And I took some of that bacon into them and they said, this is some of the best bacon we've ever eaten. Now, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice you know, gold star for what, and it's a very simple process. It's a very minimalist process. So I love making bacon. It, 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 it's easy. And that's been using the CV, using basically using the vacuum packing and then in the pellet smoker. So it's that combination of techniques and science that really does make yeah. a difference. And it's a lot um, cheaper than buying, buying that kind of big oh, store. So. Yeah, look, yeah, you, I, I sometimes, I'm sometimes shocked at the price on, on the price of meat in America compared to Australia. We have, we have beautiful meat. We have some of the best meat in the world and it's very clean. It's very green, but it's expensive compared to what you buy over there. And I remember being in Costco in um, Atlanta and I came across some um, lamb loin chops in Costco. They're about that thick and there was a tray of them and I thought, these are cheaper than I can buy them in Australia. And they're but Australian. They're Austra <laughs> and they're Australian. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on with this? <laughs> yeah. Um, aside from doing meatloaf, I also like doing meatballs this way. And um, so I did some cheesy meatballs with some, um, some um, herbs, vacuum packed, thrown in the sous vide and cooked. And then I'll either leave them in, um, no, put them in the freezer, and then when I want them, pull them out and use them again, or keep them in the fridge for a week or two. It makes doing spaghetti and meatballs or veggies and meatballs a really quick and easy dish because the meat's pre-cooked. You can chuck it in and sear it if you want to, but I usually just throw it in the sauce and finish it off. And I find that works super well. We were talking about kangaroo. You wanted to talk about kangaroo, so. Yeah, because, you know, we, you know, it's a really an exotic meat here, but you have a lot more access to it and, I, I wanted to know too, is it a big staple in your diet over there or is it an exotic well, meat? No, it, 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 it really, look, there's a couple of companies that have done a very good job of, of managing the wild harvested meat because we don't, we don't herd kangaroos. They, they do that themselves. Right. Um, so that it's wild, it's all wild harvested, mostly in South Australia and kangaroos can be a bit of a pest species, even though they're on our coat of arms, we eat them. You know, it'd be like you guys eating, eating a bald eagle, but we eat the kangaroo and the emu. Um, I'm not so keen on emu. Uh, you know, it's a little bit gamey, but roo, I love kangaroo. Think of tender, delicious venison. And when you get a, a you know, good, good roo meat, uh, like what I'm showing you here, this is, this is pretty good roo meat. Um, I'll generally go with the fillet or the, or the steaks. Um, I'll sometimes use the roo mince. It's a very lean meat, um, but yeah, so, so there's a couple of companies that do it. Most of our kangaroos though, that are harvested or culled end up in pet food. And that's, that to me is a bit of a travesty. They're really, it's a really delicious meat and it's a bit underutilized because again, most people don't know how to cook it. Um, whether that's in America or here in Australia, they really don't. And I found, as I said, back in 2012, I did, did this experiment where I um, got a whole lot of roux Roux um, steak, and I basically sliced it up, prepped it, a little bit of salt and pepper, and chucked it in the sous vide at different temperatures. I micro packed it in little bags. I did a couple of pieces each, and then I had at the time I had my neighbour was a, a commercial chef, and I had him coming for a blind tasting, where I basically diced it all up, numbered it on a plate, and randomly arranged it in different temperatures. And we worked out that 57 degrees C or 135, I think it is. Um, 134 was the right point for a medium medium rare um, piece of kangaroo. It stays succulent. It doesn't get too chewy. And it doesn't get too dry. Um, being a being a, a super lean, um, you know, hemoglobin rich meat, it's very dark, um, but it also it's, it's very lean. There's there's virtually no what fat there is 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 um, omega three fatty acids. So it's actually very healthy for you as a protein source. And it's rich in iron as well. Um, so yeah, I, I like it. A lot of people in Australia are a bit funny about eating kangaroo, but I don't have a problem with it. Here's some roux steaks, you know, as in prep, my standard prep is basically dry them off, get any blood off them, 
put a bit of salt and pepper on um, so that the top slide is just with some, some um, Italian herbs. And then I put some, I think it was uh, liquid smoke or might've been truffle extract on the bottom one. Out of the sous vide bag is the, the, the final shot on the right side there. And then, um, you know, cooked off in a, in a hot seed in a pan with a bit of ghee and um, it's finished and uh, you know, served you know on that one on the that one on the left looks like it could be any kind of um, you know sirloin or fillet here you know I, so, I've so, served it to, yeah. I've actually served it to people here and said uh, here's dinner uh, I had some over for, for dinner and I served them this and didn't tell them what it was and I said so how'd you like the steak and they said it was absolutely delicious I've never eaten anything so lovely and I said it was kangaroo and they went <laughs> and I went yeah, it was roost steak. Oh, oh, oh. I said, don't worry about it. There's plenty more. You know, we're not, they're not endangered. They're not an endangered species. But, you know, the, the thing with it, the same as with, with a lot of your game meats in America, like buffalo and, and, and moose and caribou and, and, and um, elk venison, and, yeah. elk and all those, they must be treated with respect. You know, yeah. sous vide is the perfect method of cooking them. And then... Hot pan sear, quick sear or torch. I'll use my um, Iwatani torch to, to torch the outside. It works really well for things like steak and roux. <clears throat> and then you've got to rest it before you carve it. You've got to give it those few minutes just to let the juices just equalize. Otherwise, if you just sear it, pull it out and cut it, it'll just bleed everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. It'll be a bit of a mess. So what other kind of uh, cute, fuzzy <clears throat> animals do you eat there? Do you eat uh, koala bears and... Uh, oh, you know? no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm no, just that, 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 is, that would be heresy. I mean, look, <laughs> unfortunately, with the bushfires we had last year and uh, earlier this year, which were horrific, we lost a lot of, a lot of um, koalas. Um, they were killed in the fires, as were a lot of other native animals, unfortunately. Um, other things that people will eat are things like crocodile. Uh, tastes like yeah. chicken. Yeah, I'm not yeah, that keen on it. Gator, we eat gator here in Florida all the time. So yeah, oh look, I, I, I've seen that with the gators on a barbecue, and I thought, yeah, I'd eat that. You know, I, I'm fairly yeah. experimental. Um, mostly the mostly the tail because that's just a big muscle. So that's what they yeah. they fry it up like they fry up chicken, and it's it really does taste kind of like chicken. So yeah, well, you know, ancestrally the same thing. It's reptilian in in, in ancestry. Yeah. Um, look, um, I've eaten. Uh, we. We're starting to see a lot more goat coming into the market. I've had camel, um, you know, also harvested. You know, from where they, we've got wild herds of camel in the outback. We've got massive amounts of problems with feral goats. And so um, there's quite a lot of farm goat now as well. And I don't mind that as a trade-off for lamb sometimes. Um, what else? Oh yeah, venison. Yeah, I, um, I like venison when I can get it. When I go to, I've gone to New Zealand, I've actually brought venison back with me that's been cryovacked and I'll sue the, it's all, about, it's all legal to bring back. So. How about Tasmanian devil? Have you eaten? No, uh, no, no, we don't. <laughs> look, no. Um, wallaby. No, what about wallaby? No. Well, wallaby, wallaby is a small version of root. So yeah, yeah look, same, same, same. Yeah. yeah. Not, not really into eating our, 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 our birds either. Well, we've got the, these amazing birds. We've got, around where I live here in Tarragindi in, in Brisbane, there's a big, uh, we've got a forest near me and I get the scrub turkeys come in. Well, I wouldn't eat one of those either. They're not very, they're a bit like you put a rock in a pot with the turkey and holding it a bit like what they say, talk, cooking crow. Yeah. You put the pot, you put the rock in and you cook it until the rock's tender and you eat the rock and throw the thing away. Well, <laughs> it's like vultures or something, similar. yeah. Well, yeah, a bit like that. Bit of roadkill. Um, rabbit, I've done rabbit too. We, we not, not here in Queensland because they're illegal, but uh, to have rabbits up here because they, they kind of ran over the country back in the early parts of the 19th century. Um, no, look, I, I eat a lot of um, a lot of roux. I eat a lot of uh, pork, beef, um, chicken, turkey, duck. Oh, I love duck. You know, we get really good duck here as well. So it's not that different to what you have. Our cuts for beef are different. Some of our cuts have got different names. But other than that, it, it, it's you know, it's not that not that sort of frontier country. No, so no. I know kangaroo, kangaroo is about the, the more exotic that, you know, that's what I'm saying. You're not going to eat koala bear and stuff like that. I was just kidding. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> we don't, no, we don't do that. As I said, it'd be like you eating your bald eagle, which, right. you know, or our wedge tail eagle, which is like three times the size and can carry off a lamb. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have them bigger and better and more dangerous here, but uh, 
so one of the things I wanted to talk about was was sous vide sources. Some of the things that I do, uh, where I've made a, I've, I've made a few different sources, and what I like to do is, as you've probably worked out, I like to take the path of least resistance, keep it simple. So um, I'll take a standard off the shelf source and I'll tweak it. In, in this particular slide, I've got one of Grill Masters Vintage Smokehouse sauce, and I'll add some coconut amides to it, which are like a bit like. Um, teriyaki sauce, a bit like right. soy, uh -huh. and also some, some of that balsamic vinegar. Some, I'm really blessed here that I've got, I've got cultured butter I can get at the market from a, you know, from a unique um, dairy herd up in Gympie. And I've got another guy that does, uh, he, went, he traveled to England to do a, a scholarship on how to make vinegars, uh, strange as that may seem, may seem. But he makes some of the most incredibly flavorful and different vinegars and so i like to incorporate his material into my cooking and so my my standard glaze sauce is a mixture of these things and i'll vary the balsamic vinegar a bit but and i might throw in some worcestershire or other things in there as well but i don't like super sweet that's one of the things i i know about american barbecue is it seems to be very over the top on spices on salt and sugar and lots of sugar yeah, it depends on where um, you go. That's another thing with the American barbecue. There's regional. Every state, something different. Yeah, everything's, yeah. yeah, different. I mean, Texas barbecue, they really don't have sauces. I mean, mm -hmm. they only really started offering sauces because people would come from North Carolina and expect some kind of yeah. sauce. But if you go to Texas, the, the sauce is on the table and you hardly anybody uses it because you really yeah. don't need it. You go to South Carolina, they use a lot of mustard and then mm -hmm. they go into Eastern North Carolina and it's vinegar based with, you know, it's mm -hmm. more uh, spicy. And then Kansas City and Memphis is that, you know, really high sugar, very sweet sauce. So I like a little bit yeah. of everything. I like it. I like, you know, adventurous stuff. So Yeah, well, I'm the same and I'll, I'll try, I'll try barbecue anyway. I mean, that's, uh, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm ketogenic in my food choices. I don't eat a lot of carbs. So I eat a lot more meat and, and good fats. And it helps me with, yeah, with, with uh, being the, the trim, taut and terrific guy I am. Not, I, <laughs> I, you know, never, never trust it. Never trust a skinny chef. Well, you know, I'm getting there. I'm trimming down, but I, I like to eat. I like to eat stuff. that's not too heavy in, in, right. in spices. And I, I like it balanced and, and cause it, it, yeah. And so that's why I started tweaking these sauces. And then another one that I made was the spicy lime and ginger barbecue sauce. And so I basically took a recipe where I, um, you know, a little bit of brown sugar, some apple cider vinegar, tomatoes, Worcestershire, mustard, some different powders. And then I tweaked it, it had lime juice in it. And then I tweaked it with lime and ginger extract. So I'll be talking a bit more about this in the sous vide summit. So I'm using um, five fold lime in this, which is a concentrated lime extract of the, of the oil and a ginger CO2 extract. So it's got all of the heat and all of the flavor profile of ginger. And I have to say that everyone who's tried this barbecue sauce goes, oh my, like it is, it is flavorful. It goes on Chinese barbecue. It goes on, I use it as a glazing sauce on a lot of my stuff, uh, either in the oven or um, I'll, I'll put it over sausages or over meat. It goes well on duck. It goes well on on um, you know turkey and, and other fowl as well. So that's one of the things I like to do is I like to layer those flavors and, and come up with something different. Um, rump cap or picanha, as as one of our um, sous vide cohorts likes to do a lot of picanha. I uh, I was lucky that I again was working with a local butcher who wanted me to do a whole lot of this stuff. So I ended up with I think six or eight rump caps to cook at once. So I sous vide the whole lot and then I did them in differing ways. I put them in the smoker and pellet smoker. And you know, these are some of the results um, of those glazed meats and, and they came up absolutely delicious. You know, it, it, it is, um, it's a very undervalued piece of meat, rump cap or picanha uh, as, as you call it over there. This is some of the Angus Reserve, which is a uh, grass fed and then grain finished meat. Um, they've been winning awards all across America, apparently, the Angus, Angus Reserve team with their barbecue, um, with this particular meat, because it is so top shelf. It, it's like butter. Mm -hmm. it, it's good. It's not Wagyu style, 
but it's almost there. The marbling in it is, is as you can see some from some of these picks, the marbling is quite nice and it's 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 different to wagyu, uh, different to your wagyu, but it, it's getting there. It's a really um, full flavored, tender piece of meat. Um, and again, Wagyu topside and buffalo brisket, some of the ones I did. And as I paraphrased um, our sous vide friend, it, it, they don't look good good right now, but you just wait to see. And uh, that's the thing, straight out of sous vide, meat doesn't look so doesn't look so great. It looks grey, it looks green, it looks all sorts of weird-ass colours. But the minute you glaze it or sear it or finish it off, and then it, it, it takes on a different life of its own. So... Um, now, I love to do this. I love to do sous vide meat. And then, um, yeah, this is just an example. Buffalo brisket. If you haven't tried buffalo brisket, give it a go. It's actually really interesting. This one is a, was a um, Northern Territory buffalo. So it's the water buffalo, not the, not the bison. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get my hands on some bison. I, I had some bison steak in, in um, where was I, Denver. I was there for a class and I got a bison steak from a guy and that, that was pretty delicious. Yeah. Um, other things with barbecue, uh, Wagyu topside. I was super interested. Uh, my local supermarket had this in for like $18 a kilo. And I, I, I looked at it, I went, what? And it was a grade five Wagyu um, because it wasn't your, your normal steak. It was a big lump of meat. They couldn't sell it. So I bought, I bought lots of it. <laughs> and yeah. um we just, call that top round over here. So it's kind okay. of, yeah, London broil. It's a, it's more usually a tougher type meat. So, but yeah, well, sous vide, 10 well, hours. Wagyu is going to be a lot better. That's for sure. Because it's going to well, be well marbled. So you, you can see, you can see in the right side, the pictures on the right side, just how deliciously tender and moist it was oh, yeah. uh, straight out, straight out of the, out of the barbie finished. And then, but then the next day cold, like as a cold cut where you slice it off in the thinnest slices and it's buttery. And I, I served that with, I think it was a, a, um, aioli that I'd made. And, and as a cold meat, the, the flavor of the fats come out and tender, just, just look, it, it's a terrible, terrible life. I live my friend, you know, the, <laughs> the, the food I have to suffer through and hence why I started sharing it on Instagram under a Roma science guy because I wanted to share my suffering with, with the rest of you. And <laughs> I, remember, I remember when I started sharing stuff in your group, some of the comments you, you made on, on some of the things I was putting up. Um, and brisket, you know, um, when I don't feel like firing up the, the sous, uh, sorry, firing up the barbecue, when, like when it's raining or whatever, I, I've done a variation on the Chef Steps indoor brisket recipe where I'll, I'll sous vide for um, 36 hours. 144 and I made up their basically my variation on their on their glaze I didn't particularly like it, it had too much sugar in it so I, I tweaked it back and then chucked in the oven you know and um, finished in the in a slow oven low oven and then taking those juices and reducing them and making gravies and that's something else I love to do with bag juices that's that's a whole other art of making delicious delicious um, you know, gravies and and sauces from bag juices that a lot of people sort of just chuck it away. Um, particularly if I'm doing uh, stews or casseroles, I will sous vide my meat. I always sous vide my meat for casseroles now. And then I'll either drop it cold straight out of the fridge in the bag or out of the sous vide in, in with the vegetables. And I always put the bag juices in because there's all of your liquid gelatin. There's all of your other flavors. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it, some of the fats as well. And, you know, I, um, I do that with pulled pork when I'm doing pulled pork mm -hmm. and I, I sous vide, I, I save the, the juices out of the bag. And when it's done smoking and I'm pulling it and getting it ready, I'll, I'll dump it right back in there. So, um, but so they can find you here, uh, the aroma, mm -hmm. the aroma science guy. And if you just plug that in on Facebook, Instagram, um, that'll get you LinkedIn. to Mark web LinkedIn. And, um, I, I'm really excited to hear what you have uh, ready for the sous vide summit as well because i think that's going to be something fun um something different that nobody else is going to um uh be able to bring to the summit and it's something different mm -hmm. that's for sure so i uh like i said i i know what i'm going to bring and it's going to be you know how to how to combine the two but you're bringing in something totally different how to 
look at it a little bit different. Yeah, Subi does a lot of things. Do yeah, there's a Subi do, does a lot of things, and that's one of the things I really like to bring to people's attention that everybody who is first exposed to it, you know, they just think it cooks a good steak or it'll cook a good chicken breast, and mm -hmm. that's it. And, you know, people like you and me are the ones that are out there showing people you can do a lot more with it. And especially when you start bringing in these other factors and other cooking methods and other, you know, uh, other, other processes, it's just going to make it even better. But I look forward to hearing your, uh, uh, sous vide summit, uh, presentation. That's going to be great. And everybody make sure you uh, check out the sous vide summit. Um, I'm going to put a link to that below so you can uh, watch Mark's presentation and, many, many other great sous vide uh, professionals and what they're going to offer. Uh, I'll have a discount uh, code for the tickets. It's going to be online. So you have no excuse. There's no reason you can't participate because you don't have to go anywhere. You can just do it all on your mm. computer. But Mark, thanks again for uh, being on. And is there anything else you wanted to touch base on before? No, you I, I, I think that's pretty much it as um, so yeah, look, thanks for having me and um, I will see you at the summit. So it was it was great having you and uh, check out again the aroma. What was it again? The aroma science guy. There you go. Summit. You know the aroma science guy on Instagram, yeah. Facebook, and just plug it into the Google and then it'll pop up. But thanks again. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll uh, see you again on the next fire and water cooking podcast. Bye. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I want to thank Mr. Mark Webb, the aroma science guy, for being on. Make sure you check out his um, stuff on Facebook, Instagram. Just look up the aroma science guy. And make sure you follow the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast, Fire and Water Cooking YouTube channel. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram as well. And make sure you check out the Sous Vide Summit coming up August 21st to the 23rd. 2020. I'll see you on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.